How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Can you say amen? Amen. Tonight I want to talk to you out of the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 19. 13 through 20 actually. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Word of the Lord to you tonight is flee. Run for your life. Run for your life. I mean, it's serious. It's real. And we're going to talk about the things that the Bible commands us to flee. Because there's only a few things that in the New Testament we're told to flee. And it's interesting that one of them is not the devil. The Bible does not say that we are to flee the devil. It doesn't say we're to run from him. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't it funny that the thing that we think is our strongest power of opposition, God doesn't say to flee from it. He says resist it. But when it comes to sexual temptation, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee fornication. Isn't it interesting? He says you can overcome the devil, but you can't overcome this. Wow. If the devil comes at you, you stand your ground and resist. Yeah. But if, fornica- if, if sexual temptation comes at you, you turn, you tuck tail, and you run. <laughs> Flee, Paul yeah, said. Yeah, run yeah, for yeah, your life. Yeah, You're not yeah. strong enough. You can't stand up against that mess. It will kill you. You think you're strong. You're not that strong. It will kill you. Run, run. for your life. Yeah. Run. Look at them and say, run for your life. Flee. Flee. We know that Joseph did this. Joseph yeah. did this, didn't he? When Potiphar's wife, I mean, Joseph had a good reason. I mean, he was working his tail out and he wasn't working his tail off and and he wasn't offered anything, no wife, no nothing. You know, he's just working his tail off and Potiphar wasn't doing nothing and he was a slave. He wasn't even getting paid. He might, you know, he could have justified it in his own mind, but he knew that he wasn't strong enough to stand against it. So he ran and left his coat in her hand. He knew he had to flee that mess. He had to get up out, get up out. Don't be laying in bed with her playing Luther Vandross on the radio with the lights down low praying, Holy Spirit, help me. See, you're trying to resist them. What you're trying to do is resist temptation and flee the devil. And God says, resist the devil and flee temptation. Flee, Flee sexual immorality. But there's something else that the Bible commands us to flee that we don't understand the power of it. See, this sermon's not about sexual temptation. I brought that up to show you that when the, when the New Testament tells you to flee something, it's real strong. Yeah. When the New Testament tells you to run from something, it's even more powerful than the devil. Yeah. The Bible doesn't tell you to flee from it unless it's strong enough to overtake you, unless you're not strong enough to resist yeah. it. And when the Bible says to flee it, it doesn't mean to battle with it. You don't struggle something. Listen, if, now listen, I was at Starbucks yesterday, and this, this Mike Tyson looking dude... <laughs> I mean, the dude looked like a profe- like he was a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. And he went off and just started beating the tar out of one of the guys who just worked at Starbucks. Just some random guy that worked at Starbucks. The guy came over to the table and said, excuse me, sir, are you done with these cups? What? He jumped up. Bam! 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 Had him up against the wall. And four guys jumped in to try to stop. Thankfully, they were closer than I was. And, and they... <laughs> They jumped. I just thought, oh, there's four of them. They can handle it. He turned around. Get off me, punk. Threw that one across. Get off me, punk. Threw that one across. He threw all of them. And then went back to that dude. Bam. And so now I start closing my laptop. Lord, please let this stop before my laptop closes. (laughs) And sure enough, as soon as my laptop closed, he turned around and said, that's right, punks. 
Anybody want some more? I'll be outside. And he grabbed his bag and he left. And I thought, man, I would never fight that dude. I would flee. He's too strong. Listen, you don't, you know, my wife talked about seeing little kids trying to fight big kids. You know, it's like, no, no, no. You don't fight that kid. You run from that kid. (laughs) You don't, I I wouldn't fight that guy. I would have talked my way out of that one. Like I've talked my way out of many fights in the past. Brother, brother, brother. No, but he wasn't hearing any reason. He would have hit me hard, fast and often. It would have been all over for me. (laughs) I wouldn't have been preaching tonight had I jumped in that mess. But, but let me tell you something. When the Bible says to flee something, it means you don't struggle with it. I would have never struggled with the guy because I would have ran for my life. You don't struggle some, with something you run from. And if I see you struggling with something, you're not running from it. Or you're not running fast enough. Some of you are running from things, but you're running so slow it catches you and beats the mess out of you. All right. Now, turn in your Bibles. That was my intro. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Verse 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. Look at David say, very clear. To the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled... Look at that word fled, flee, fled. We who have ran for our lives to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. He says, if you want to lay hold of hope, you got to run for your life. You got to flee sexual immorality, but you also got to flee hopelessness. You're running away from hopelessness and you are fleeing to lay hold of the hope that is set before you. Listen, this is what this passage of scripture is saying. Just as you're not strong enough to fight your way through sexual temptation, you are not strong enough to fight your way out of hopelessness. You're not going to say, I'm going to sit over here and let, and just struggle with hopelessness for a while. Come on, you know, Lord, take me out. No, you flee to take hold of the hope that is held out before you God says I'm holding out hope here it is but you got to run you got to run it's like there's a lion chasing you and God is holding out hope he's saying if you grab a hold of this the lion can you got to run with all of your might to lay hold of the hope that is being set before you you better run boy come on somebody don't fool with hopelessness not even for a moment not even for a second you're not strong enough You're not strong enough to just lay down in a puddle of hopelessness and splash around for a while saying things like, I just need to feel this right now. And I just need to kind of let this run its course. And I'm just having a moment. Hopelessness is never a moment. If you give it an inch, it takes a mile. If you give it a mile, it will take your life. So you got to flee. You got to flee to take hold of the hope that is being held out for you. Now, God understands how susceptible we are to hopelessness. He understands that if he doesn't give us all kind of encouragement, you know what I'm talking about? Now, you ever heard a story about a young lady who was totally in love with a young man, but the young man didn't know that she was in love with him. 
And so he, he, was not, he didn't dare to approach her to say a word to her because he didn't know that she felt about him the same way he felt about her. And so she knew that there's certain things she could do to give him some hope. Can I get a witness? She knew that if she looked at him in a certain way, it would give him hope. But she also knew that if she looked at him in a certain way, it would take all of his hope away. His hope would dry up and flee. And but that young man knows that when he sees that look in her eye, hope, hope comes alive in his heart. When he sees that look in her eye, I'll never forget when I saw that look in Sonny's eye. Woo! When I saw that look in her eye, you know what I did? I went and bought a ring the next day. Come on, somebody. That's how I roll. She was giving me all kinds of hope. She looked at me with that eye that said, oh, yeah, I tell you, I got you. I, got, I see that. Ding! That I just went, bling! I got all kinds of hope, but I had to run to lay hold of it. Because I knew that an opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. See, you cannot wait and let your opportunity die in front of you. You gotta, as T.D. Jakes would say, maximize your moment. <clears throat> now, God knows that if he, God knows that he can take away our hope or he can give us hope. Yeah. Now, I, I I'm not putting nobody on blast, but I know of a particular, and they're not in this room, so don't be looking around, but I know of a particular situation in which the young lady was giving the guy all kinds of hope, and he wouldn't flee to take hold of it. She was giving him the eye. She was sitting down next to him. She was smiling. She was bringing him lunch. (laughs) She was... (laughs) She was looking for every opportunity she could to show him that the hope is set before you. All you got to do is flee to lay hold of it. And everybody knew he loved her. She loved him. But the dude just would not get the point, would not flee to lay hold of it. You know, that's how so many of God's children are with God. God's given you all. Everybody knows he loves you. You love him, but you won't run to him. There's all kind of hope sitting on the table and you won't run to lay hold of it. So God says, I know. So in Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm going to cause hope to come alive in Abraham's heart. Abram, get up out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation. God says, I'm going to bring some hope. I'm going to put some hope. I'm going to keep, I'm gonna keep some hope alive. We're going to keep hope alive. Yeah. See, Jesse Jackson got that from God. God didn't get that from Jesse Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And so he says, He says, Abraham, get out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation. God says, I'm going to do it. And he gives Abraham all kinds of hope. But how many know that after a while, Abraham's hope began to wane. And so in Genesis 15, God came back and says, I got to give him some more hope. So he says, Abraham, come outside. He says, Abraham, I'm your shield and your very great reward. And and Abraham, we know the story. Abraham said, but what can you give me though? Seeing that I go childless and Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit my... See, he lost all of that hope Already. He forgot that God smiled at him, that God winked at him, that God laughed at him, that God sat down and held his hand, that God brought him. God was giving him all kinds of signals and he, he saw it for a minute, but then he lost it in a moment. It, just in three chapters, he lost yeah. all of his hope. That's how most believers are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All it takes is one chapter. Yeah. You can get 28 prophetic words on Monday and your hope is gone by Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how most believers are and so then in chapter and and then in in chapter 15 God takes him outside he says uh, um, he says look up at the stars and he says count the stars if you can count them and he says 
Lord, I can't count them. That's foolishness. And God says, so shall your offspring be. And the scripture says, Abram believed the Lord and he accounted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he says, I believe you. I I see it. I picked up the hope. And God says, great. Now watch this. And then in Genesis 22, God comes to him and says, Abram, you got hope? He said, yeah, I got hope. Good. Take your son, your only son whom you love. This is after the child is born. Take him to the place I'll show you and offer him as a burnt offering. And Abram takes him to Mount Moriah. And he lays him on the altar. And you know the story. And when he lifts the knife, the angel of the Lord appears to him. And what does he say? He says, by myself I have sworn that in blessing I will bless you. And in multiplying I will multiply you. Do you, hear, you see that? By myself I have sworn. This is Genesis chapter 22 verse 16. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. Do you see what the author of Hebrews said over here in Hebrews 6? He said, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. He said, by myself, I have sworn that in blessing, I will bless you and in multiplying, I will multiply you. So we gave him the promise in chapter 12, but he swore it with an oath in chapter 22. And the author of Hebrews says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. First, the promise and then the oath. The promise is in chapter 12 and 15. And the oath is in chapter 22. God says, I gave you a promise, now I'm giving you an oath. And the promise is good enough, but I'm going to give you the oath too. Why? So that you'll have some hope. Because I know how powerful hopelessness is. I know that once it gets a hold of you, you're just convinced that I'm not going to fulfill my promise. I know that once once hopelessness infiltrates the caverns of your heart, even the hope that was there begins to wither and flee. And your faith becomes void. And suddenly you start believing, well, maybe it was less than I thought it was. And so God says, no, 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 no. I'm not just giving you the promise, but I'm giving you the oath. So that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Now here's the interesting thing. If I were writing it, I would have said, so that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, Abraham would be greatly encouraged. God gave Abraham a promise and an oath so that Abraham would be encouraged, right? But the author of Hebrews says, no, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we... Who have fled to lay hold of the hope set before us might be greatly encouraged. The author of Hebrews says, we should be encouraged because of what God promised Abraham. Why should we be encouraged because of what God, that promise was to Abraham, not to us. Why should we be encouraged? Well, there's a couple of reasons I can think of. First of all, in in 2 Corinthians Chapter one, verse um, Paul says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes yes in him. And so through us, the amen is spoken to the glory of God. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are Yes. yes to who? 
to us. You know how we say when we give a prophetic word on Sunday morning, if you're in the crowd and that word bears witness with you and you like it, you want it, you just receive it for yourself. No, we talk about that. We say when we call out one individual, they're an inclusive representative of what God's doing in the house. Prophesying over one person is like taking a sawed off shotgun and going, pow, it's going to hit many people in the house. That's what it's like. Literally, Paul is saying that if you're reading the Old Testament and you come across a promise that bears witness with your spirit, a promise from God that's good. And you say, I wish that was to me. Bam, it's to you. Because no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. What does that mean? That means that Christ took all of them. He took all of the promises of the Old Testament. He took the promises of the patriarchs. He took the birthright. He took the blessing. He took the priesthood. He took the kingship. He took the prophethood. He took the covenants. He took the blood. He took the law. He took the spirit. Everything that was promised in the Old Testament, Jesus says, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And they are all yes in me. And now you are in Christ. And what is in Christ? Everything that was in the Old Covenant is all in Christ. And since you are in Christ, it's all there at your disposal. It's all yours. But even more specifically in this situation with Abraham, embedded in the very promise that God made to Abraham is the fact that it's for you. Because what did he say to Abraham? He said, I will make you a great nation. And I'll bless those who bless you. And I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Literally, God promised Abraham, you. (laughs) When he says, look at the sky, this is how your descendants are going to be. You're talking about you. You were a star in that Abrahamic sky. That God said, Abraham said, man, I don't even know all these kids. How am I going to have all these kids? God said, well, they're going to know you. <laughs> when somebody asks these kids, who's your daddy? They're going to say, our father Abraham. <laughs> Abraham is our daddy. <laughs> who's your daddy, Abraham? Come on, somebody. And so that's why we are able to be greatly encouraged because of what God promised Abraham hopelessness and discouragement are synonymous. Follow me. They're the same thing. Why does the author of Hebrews say that we should flee from hopelessness slash discouragement? Why is it so important for us to flee to lay hold of the hope that is set out before us? Look at it here. He's going to tell you. Watch this, verse 19. We have this hope. As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope anchors your soul. Hope is what allows your soul to walk through the darkest storm and say, I'm not, I'm not going nowhere. Because whenever the storm starts blowing, your hope just drops an anchor and says, don't worry, you got me. Yep, yep, yep. Say, ah, this storm will blow over. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not trying to sail through it. I'm just going to stick right here. 
I got this hope as an anchor for the soul. What's hope telling me through every storm? The the hope is just saying, don't worry. Hang on. You can't go nowhere. I'm stronger than the storm is. I'm going to be eternal, but this storm is temporary. Don't worry. There's something on the other side of this storm. You just wait till this storm ends and the sun's about to break through and it's going to shine again. This storm is for a moment, but on the other side of the storm, there's a sun that is blazing hot and is getting ready to shine in your life. Hope anchors the soul. You know what happens when people let go of hope? When they don't flee to lay hold of the hope held before them, their souls get blown everywhere. Say, I feel so insecure. Yeah, you lost your hope anchor. I'm so unstable right now. Yeah, you lost your hope anchor. Flee. Flee. Flee that insecure place and run back and lay hold of the hope that's set before you. You see? And, and it's so, you know, when you see believers whose souls are blown everywhere, it doesn't mean that you, feel, you don't feel pain. Yeah. Of course you feel pain. You know, I was thinking of that song, and, and, and you know, I'm going to sing it real quick. Is that all right? <laughs> this song that we, we, I used to sing when we were growing up. Don't worry, I'm not done preaching, but I'm just, this is an interlude. It goes, though the storms keep on raging in my life. Anybody heard this before? And sometimes it's hard to tell the night from day. Still that hope that lies within. See, they've been reading their Bibles. It reassures. As I keep my eyes upon the distant shore. Distant shore, I know he leads me safely to that precious place he has prepared. I've been preaching too long. Haven't been playing my piano. But if the storms don't cease And if the winds keep on blowing in my life My soul has been anchored in In the Lord You remember that? storms keep on raging in my life and sometimes it's hard to tell the night from day still that hope that lies within it reassures as I keep my eyes upon the distant shore I'll know he leads me safely to that precious place he has prepared. But if the storms don't cease, and if the winds keep on blowing in my life, Sometimes in this life We're gonna be tossed By the winds and the current That seems so dear But in the word of God I 
be steadfast and unmovable despite the long. But if the storms don't cease, and if the winds keep on blowing in my life, Thank you for allowing me that momentary divergence. But that song has just been turning over and over again in my heart for the last couple of days ever since the Lord gave me this passage of scripture. Because it comes right out of this verse. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The first thing that hope does is it anchors your soul. It gives you, it brings you into a state of firmness and security in the midst of the darkest storm. I love at the end of that song, we used to sing this at my house when I was growing up all the time. My whole family would come over, but one of my uncles would sing, The billows may roll, the breakers may dash, but I will not falter, because he'll hold me fast. The salt of the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I I can't do it the way he would do it. But but he said, no matter what happens. My soul is anchored in the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is my soul anchored in the Lord? Because I have fled to lay hold of the hope yeah, yeah. that is held out before me. Now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. What does hope do? It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Hold on. Look at that. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters behind the inner sanctuary. It enters... Into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The Holy of Holies. You say, I'm going into the Holy of Holies. No, your hope is going in. You're not going in with hopelessness in your heart. The greatest impediment to intimacy in your relationship with Christ is hopelessness. You say, well, I'm going in the Holy of Holies. Not when you're filled with all that hopelessness. Your hope says, come with me. I'm going to take you in. Come with me. I'm going to take you... You see why God says flee to lay hold of this hope? Because just like that woman, see, you know, I'm a married man. I've been married for almost 14 years. But I can look at my wife and know if there's hope for tonight or not. (laughs) And and if there's no hope, if, if there's no hope being held out for me, I know I'm not going behind the curtain. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Now, I know that's somewhat of a crude metaphor, but it's real. I'm trying to keep it real here tonight. What what I'm saying is intimacy requires hope. The reason God wants to keep you hopeful is because he wants to be intimate with you. He wants to take you behind the curtain, but you're so busy entertaining thoughts of discouragement and hopelessness. He can take you behind the curtain with your pain. He can take you behind the curtain with your grief. He can take you in your mourning. He can take you with your wounds. You don't have to get healed to go behind the curtain. But one thing that will not go with you there is is hopelessness. Mm -hmm. He can't take you in without hope. 
Why? Because no unbelievers are allowed there. Okay? Now. That's a good word. So that's a good word, Pastor. All right. Um, I, I want to take it a step further. I had this word in my heart and in my mind. But watch this. Intimacy leads to what? Fruitfulness. Are intimacy and fruitfulness friends or enemies? The answer is yes. Follow me here. Intimacy and fruitfulness are consecutive realities. But not necessarily simultaneous realities. Because before Sonny and I conceived and became fruitful and bore a little girl named Alethea Sarang Robinson. Intimacy was no problem for us. Free. Lavish. But as soon as the little girl is born, our fruitfulness became an impediment to our intimacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intimacy leads to fruitfulness. But intimacy and fruitfulness have a hard time living together in the same house. They are naturally consecutive realities, but not naturally simultaneous realities. Because once you go behind the veil, what happens is you become fruitful. Now, translate this into your relationship with God. When you go, when God takes you into the deep places in his presence, what happens to you there? You get all kinds of vision, all kinds of clarity about what? About the stuff that you can now do once you come out from behind the veil. In other words, you go into the Holy of When I go into the Holy of Holies, I get about 15 book ideas. I get 25 sermons. I get five new Abba conferences. When I go behind the veil. The problem is now that I come out from behind the veil, I'm fruitful. Yeah. And now that I've become so fruitful, I'm, I'm taking care of these children the Lord's given me. I ain't got no time for intimacy anymore. Oh. I got to take care of the kids now. My husband will understand why I ain't got no more time for him. I got to take care of the kids. See, me and this baby is everything that's important to me right now. That's how God feels like a husband that's been left in the lurch because now mama and the baby is everything. Uh-oh. And, and this is the word I'm trying to get to tonight. That as we've been talking about going back to the blessing and fruitfulness and God breaking you through, never forget, number one, that the only way to get to that place of fruitfulness in your finances is through in- intimacy with God. Yeah. But number two, once God blesses your finances, see, lack of intimacy is, the, lack of fruitfulness is the greatest intimacy booster. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Before God blesses you with fruitfulness, in that season of barrenness, it's his gift to you. Amen. My yeah. wife and I didn't have a kid for eight years. You know what we could do? We could get out of church on Sunday and we could just disappear. We'd get in the car and drive. Yeah. We didn't even have to pack clothes. We could go wherever we wanted to go, do whatever we wanted to do. We could go to in and out at one o'clock in the morning if we wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Which we did. You can't do that with a kid, though. Yeah. People without kids don't understand. 
You ain't got no kids? Well, I don't understand. How come you can't go out? I'll tell you why I can't go out, because I got a four and a half year old. <laughs> yeah. And so in your season of barrenness, what happens when you don't bear fruit in a particular area in your life? You start calling on the name of the Lord. Yeah. You know what he's doing in that in that interim period between promise and fulfillment. He says, I'm going to bless your finances. And then years go by and you're still broke. Why are you still broke? Because God says, I want to preserve this time of intimacy. Wow. That's just you and me. Do you know when couples get married, they say, we're going to wait two or three years before we have a kid. Why? Because we want to experience the fullness of our intimacy with one another. Sometimes God says, you know what? I'm going to wait three years before I fulfill this promise. Why? Because I know once I fulfill that promise, you're going to be so busy with the the kids that you're not going to have time for me. So I want this time between you and me all to ourselves. See, in 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 God's reticence to fulfill his promise, God is inviting you to a deeper place of intimacy with him. He says, come to me and call upon me but in the midst of it what he wants to instill in your heart is the commitment that once you do become fruitful you won't forget him you see once you become fruitful intimacy is no longer natural sometimes it's got to be scheduled in i'll meet you at 7 a.m tomorrow morning while the baby's still asleep we got a date i'm gonna send the kids to mom's tonight so you and me can have a night together. We need to go watch a movie together. You see, we need to find time away from the kids. See that the hardest thing about it, and this is what I realize is that every time I go into the presence of God, I try to bring the kids with me. Yeah. Every time I go into the presence of God, I'm bringing the ministry. But Lord, how are we going to solve these problems? And, and but Lord, what about this book you've given me to write? Lord, what about my website? Lord, what about Abba Conference? Lord, what about this? And I'm bringing all the kids and he's saying, okay, I'll, I, I'll help you with the kids. I'm a good husband. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a deadbeat dad. Yeah. I will help you with the kids. I will not I will not give you fruitfulness and then not be there for the fruit that I've yeah, given you. Yeah. I'll give them baths and tuck them in at night and, and clothe them in the morning and take them to school. I will be there for the kids, but I need some time with you apart from the kids. Yeah, and here's what I realized. I realized I realized this last night when I came to prayer. I was sitting right over there and I was coming into the presence of God. And it was so sweet. And immediately I was trying to bring the kids. Yeah. And the Lord said, why are you doing that? Yeah. And it dawned on me that I'm afraid that if I forget this for a second, I'll lose it. Mm. It's like that when you have a kid. Yeah. You know, honestly, even on Thursday nights when I'm preaching in here, I'm listening. Because mm-hmm. if I hear a certain cry on the other side of that wall, <laughs> there's a cry that says I'm hurt. Now, you know, kids cry and sometimes it's just I'm crying. Yeah. That's one thing about, you know, being a parent is, you know, when your kid is faking. You know, we can look at Alethea sometimes and just laugh when she's crying. Because that's not even a real cry. You're not even really, you're trying to manipulate me. And I ain't going out like that. Yeah. I'm not dumb. You're not even crying. Look at you. Yeah. you know, that's not even, but there's a particular cry yeah. that says, I'm hurt. And, and I'm never without her. Yeah. I'm preaching to you right now, but I'm listening. Yeah. And if I hear that voice, I'm out of here. Yeah. Sometimes God wants you to trust the sitter. Trust your mama. (laughs) Send the kids to your mama and trust your mama. Your mama can handle it. But they're going to cry. Let them cry. It'll be I. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? Send them to the neighbor if you have to, but get rid of those kids sometimes. And this is what the Lord said to me last night. I said, Lord, you know what I realized? I'm afraid that if I come into your presence without this, I'll lose it. I'll forget it. And the Lord spoke to me and said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. 
If you forget that stuff and just come into your present, come into my presence, I'll give it to you even twice as powerful on your way out. But if you won't leave that stuff behind, if you cling to that stuff, instead of forgetting that, you'll forget me. It dawned on me how prevalent the command, the admonition not to forget the Lord is. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When God blesses you, he gives you all kind of stuff that you didn't work for yourself. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. When you're fruitful, beware that you don't lose your intimacy. You see that? Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9, take heed lest you forget. Chapter 4 verse 23, take heed lest you forget. Chapter 6 verse 12, beware lest you forget. Deuteronomy 8, 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord. Chapter 9, verse 7, remember, do not forget. How about Psalm chapter 50, verse 22? Now consider this, you who forget God. Yeah. Psalm 78, 7, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Yeah. How about Psalm 103, 2? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 119:16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I won't forget I won't forget. Yeah. And the first sign of loss of intimacy is forgetfulness. Yeah. Oh, it's today our anniversary? Oh, I forgot. Oh, oh, snap, is your birthday tomorrow? I forgot. Oh, snap. Oh, snap, I forgot. I was so busy taking care of the kids that I forgot the one who gave me those kids. So busy giving myself to my fruitfulness that I forgot that I have no fruitfulness without you. That you are my fruitfulness. That you are my intimacy. Do not forget. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Remember. Remember the Lord your God. And this is the message tonight in a nutshell. Hope leads to intimacy. Takes you behind the the curtain into the inner sanctuary. Intimacy Leads to fruitfulness. But once intimacy has made you fruitful. You got to make a decision not to forsake your intimacy. And this is the key. This is the promise of God. That God has spoken to you over the last 10 weeks. How he's going to bless you financially. How he's going to open doors for you. How he's going to break you through in so many ways. And the promises that he's given you over the last 10 weeks are designed to give you hope. You say, well, I was waiting for a strategy. No, I didn't give you a financial strategy. I didn't give you thought the finance series was going to be step one, invest this much money. Step two, get a Roth IRA and put this into it. Step three, open this kind of college fund for your kid. And you know what? Some of that stuff is good, but blessing is bigger than any strategy or a plan. The blessing and favor and breakthrough of the Lord transcends all of that stuff. What was the 10-week series about? It was holding out hope for you. God says, here's the hope. All kinds of promises. Back to the blessing. I'm going to bless you indeed. I'm going to make you fruitful. But now tonight we seal it. This is the end of our financial one thing tonight. The very last thing I'll say about our financial one things is this. Number one, there's two extremes. First extreme is that you didn't hear nothing I said over the last 10 weeks. And so you still ain't got no financial hope. (laughs) 
So yeah, he said that. I'm still broke. And you're just waiting a couple months to come back and say that thing didn't work. Yeah. You did 10 week series. It didn't work for me. No, you got to flee to hold, lay hold of your hope. Amen. So the first extreme is hopefulness. But the other extreme is a fruitfulness that forgets the intimacy of God. And what's in between hopefulness and fruitfulness? Intimacy. Yeah. Learning to live in the middle. Yeah. Returning to the middle. Hope gets you in. But once hope gets you in and makes you fruitful, now you've got to make a decision. I'm going to go back to that place of intimacy. And I'm going to walk with God. Amen. 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 Let's pray. That's good. Father, thank you so much. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We thank you that you're speaking so strongly to our hearts tonight. And Father, tonight I, I pray for those who have been battling hopelessness. There's some in this place you just feel like you're cursed. Because stuff that works for everybody else doesn't work for you. How come it doesn't work for me? How come the Lord doesn't hear me on that? You see other people getting blessed and say, yeah, that's because God favors them. How come he doesn't favor me? Think maybe it's because I've sinned in this way. Or maybe it's because I'm just not qualified in this way. And I want to break all that foolishness off your heart and mind. He is no respecter of persons. Matter of fact, the people that you're seeing him bless probably have sinned worse than you somewhere. You know what you got to do? You got to flee to lay hold of that hope. One thing I see in Pastor Daniel's life is that he holds on to hope and he does not let it go. And it's funny, he's even hoped for things that I thought, but how do you keep hoping for that? It's not going to happen. But you know the fruit of that hope in his life? The fruit of that hope in his life is he just keeps drawing closer and closer to the Lord. You need to make a decision. You know what? Even if it never happens, I'm still going to hope in it. Hebrews 11 talks about some of the patriarchs that they died in hope. Do you know that God promised Abraham the promised land and he died in hope, not even owning one inch of it, not even owning enough of it to put one foot on the ground, but he died with the promise. He died in hope. He died believing it, knowing that it was coming, even though he didn't see it with his own eyes. And that's why his children possessed it. Because he died in hope. Some of you have let go go of stuff in hope because it didn't happen in six months. You don't realize the generational character of hope. So Father, I pray right now for those who are battling hopelessness. Those who don't know how to flee to lay hold of the hope that's set before them. Hurting so bad and, and think what you need is healing and Maybe what you need is not healing. Maybe what you need is hope. Because hope is like comfort. It's God's presence in the midst of it. Hope says it may not change today, but it's going to change. That character of hope. That Jobian hope. That reckless Jobian hope. That even when he had lost everything, he said, but I know my Redeemer lives. And I'll stand with him on that day. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's the kind of hope. It's an anchor for the soul. I don't care what kind of hardship I go through. My soul ain't going nowhere. Yet I will hope in God. Yet will I hope in God. Yet will I hope in God. He will surely come. He will surely come. Some of you have let go of that burden of hope. In the midst of financial struggle. Because it's easier just to embrace the fact that you're going to be broke. It's easier just to cry and say that you have a spirit of poverty. 
And I don't see anywhere in scripture that says you got a spirit of poverty. You know what the spirit of poverty is? Hopelessness. Financial hopelessness. Flee today. Run for your life. Run for your life. Don't linger in the presence of hope. It'll beat the tar out of you. You're not strong enough to wrestle with hope. It'll kill you. Stop giving yourself an excuse for it. Stop giving yourself permission to linger there. Say, I'm only going to spend one night here. No, you don't spend one moment there. You run for your life. You flee and lay hold of the hope. And tonight the Lord is holding out hope for you. He's holding out hope for you. He's ho- Some of you are so broke right now, you don't even have two pennies to rub together. Some of you are struggling financial right, financially right now, you don't even know where your daily bread is coming from. Some of you are in such a struggle. Let me tell you something. You are great people. You are a great people. Go clear yourself a place. If you don't have a job, you go into your prayer closet and pray down a job. Pray it down. you got to understand your authority in Christ. My wife came to me the other day. She said, baby, I need you to make this much more money. And she gave me a number. I need this much money. We need this much money. This is what we need it for. And I need you to do it as soon as possible. I felt empowered. I felt mighty. I said, I said look at that. My wife, she believes in me. She believes in me so much. She knows that I carry the anointing of the husband to provide for my family. I said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm a do- I know I'll do it. I know I can do it. Why? How am I going to do it? I don't know. It doesn't make sense in the natural. But see, hope doesn't have to make sense in the natural. Hope says, I know that I have a God in heaven and the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. Say, well, I don't know what kind of job. I can't get another job. I don't, it's not about a job. I got a God. I don't need a job. You hearing me tonight? You got to let go of that hopelessness. But on the other side of it, you got to cling to your intimacy in the midst of fruitfulness. And listen, it's a slippery slope. Because this is what happens. You start to get fruitful, and pretty soon you got a little less time to come to the house of God. And then you got a little less time to go into your prayer closet. And then you got a little less time in your word. A little less time. Just a little slippage. A little slippage. A little slippage. And pretty soon you slipped right off the slope. You're so fruitful that you don't have any time for God. Let me tell you something. You need to make a decision. I'm going to live this way. Come hell or high water. I'm going to, I'm going to walk with God this way and no level of fruitfulness is going to rob me of my intimacy with God. You need to make a decision one right now. You need to make a decision right now. Fruitfulness is not going to rob me of my intimacy with God. I'm going to continue to walk with him. I'm going to continue to seek his face. I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue. I'm not going to stop because I think the prayer is answered. Prayer is not about an answer. It's about intimacy with God. Make a decision right now. I'm going to walk in that place. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to clothe myself with hope. Every morning I'm going to wake up and clothe myself with hope as with a garment. I'm going to wear that garment of hope every day. I don't care what it looks like. I've got hope. Why? Because by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He not only made a promise, but he swore it with an oath. He said, by myself, I have sworn. 
By myself I have sworn. By myself I have sworn that in blessing I will bless you. How can you not be blessed when God swore by himself to bless you? God says, if I don't bless you, I will have denied myself. If I don't multiply you, I will have denied myself. If I don't bless and multiply you, I called myself a liar. By myself, I have sworn that in blessing, I will bless you. Nobody greater I can swear by. And it says, the oath puts an end to all argument. Some of you need to put an end to that argument in your heart. Because you're arguing with God. Arguing with him. Some of you are clinging to hopelessness as if it's the anchor. And as soon as somebody comes and tries to take it away from you, you got all kinds of excuses. No, but, but you don't know what I'm going through. But you don't know how hard it is. But, but not understanding that your ignorance is masquerading in the form of knowledge. When you say, I don't know, shouldn't you let somebody come and tell you? Why is it that when somebody comes to try to break that foolishness off of you, you start arguing with them? No, but you don't understand. No, but you don't get it. No, but no, you don't get it. You're not going to remain in hopelessness, not even for a moment. Pain? I can handle that. God says, I'll be with you in your pain. And I'll take it away from you too. I'll, I'll dry every tear from your eyes. But there's a difference between hope Hopelessness and pain. I can be in hope-filled pain. And I can have hopeless happiness. Because they say ignorance is blissed. Ignorant of the promises. Just made a decision to accept my lot. This is my story. This is my song. Wallowing in poverty all the day long came down through my family it's up in my blood (laughs) God wants to break that off you tonight so father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I seal every heart with hope I break the yoke of hopelessness off every mind and every heart in the name of Jesus I break it off that lie that says you're worthless I break it off you right now I break it in Jesus name I break it in the name of Jesus. I break it in the name of Jesus. I command it to leave in Jesus' name. That lie, I build a hedge of protection around your mind. That lie will not infiltrate your mind ever again. I'm worthless. Can't do anything right. I'm hopeless. I don't have what I need. I break it off you. I break it off you. He's given you the power to create wealth. He's given you the power to create wealth. He's given you the power to create wealth. I settled it in your mind tonight that he's given you the power to create wealth. He's given you the power to create wealth. I break that false humility off your mind and heart. That false humility that says, oh, I'm not going to dream that big. I'm not going to think that big. I break it off your heart and mind right now. He's given you the power to create wealth. But he's also given you the power in the midst of wealth to remain in the place of intimacy. It will not rob you of your intimacy with God. It will not rob you of your intimacy with God. It will never become an idol to you. 
You will not bow down to it. You will not worship it. You will not forget the Lord your God. You will not forsake the God of your covenant. Money will never command you. You will command money. Fruitfulness will never command you. You will command fruitfulness. Speak blessing and peace over your heart and mind. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. God bless you tonight. Have a good night. Our altar workers are here at the front. If anybody needs special prayer, our altar workers are here to pray for you as always. God bless you.